0: Well, we turn to God's word this morning and we continue in our travels and our journey with Jesus through his word from Gethsemane to the cross. And this is also in preparation for Good Friday, but we're going through the narrative of Christ's suffering from Gethsemane to the cross from Mark 14 and 15. So we're le- reading the last section of Mark 14 today, the gospel according to Mark Chapter 14, and we read verses 53 to 72. On trial. Last week we heard about Jesus' betrayal and arrest, and today we hear about his trial before the chief priests, scribes, and the elders, Sanhedrin. Let's hear God's word. Verse 53, Mark 14. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with them were assembled all the chief priests, the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests, And all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it then these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them but he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you're one of them for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time, the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, and when he thought about it, he wept. So, congregation, for Lord Jesus Christ, you know, recall the words, perhaps, of Jesus when he spoke to his disciples in the upper room. He shared many things with them. He counseled them. But one of the words he spoke to them was this. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Okay? It hated him before it hates believers. And he goes on to say, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Who's a servant? The believer, right? And the master is Jesus. And Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's one of the signs of a believer. That's what's one of the signs of a follower of Jesus is that the world will persecute you. You know, there are unending joys, unending life and following Jesus. All that is laid out so beautifully and so gloriously in scripture, the promises of God. There are many, But, you know, belonging to Jesus, therefore, also involves a cost, right? Our love for him will be tested in this world. You don't belong to this world. You belong to Jesus. He's put his mark on you. You belong to him. He loved you. He gave his life for you. But that also means that as a follower of Jesus, there is a willingness that only he can give, mind you, a willingness to suffer unfair treatment. It's a willingness to suffer ridicule from the world for your faith in Jesus Christ. In the day of trial, in the day when our love for Jesus is tested, such as that church and Christians are facing today, even in our nation we need to trust and believe that Jesus will stand with his people. I mean, we can talk about us standing for Jesus, but it first comes with Jesus standing for his people. And by trusting in him, we will be able to stand. He stands for us so that we can stand in him. And yeah, it's really a a, a question of response, our response to Christ. And you see that here. You see that here with a sharp contrast between our Lord Jesus Christ and a well-respected disciple, Peter. Both are on trial at the same time. Jesus is on trial, who stands in the place of sinners. He's there on trial for us, in our place. Peter's on trial for his faith, for his commitment, for his love to Christ. Jesus is on trial before the high priest. And Peter, as you see in verse 66, is on trial before a servant girl of the high priest. Both are on trial side by side. And both you see bear witness under persecution as we see in these verses. And we're going to see two things in this in this passage. So welcome Sashi. We see two, pa- two points in this passage. We'll see, first of all, Jesus' faithful witness, okay? Jesus' faithful witness, but Peter's unfaithful witness. Jesus' faithful witness. Peter's bearing witness, but witness against Jesus, right? So they're both bearing witness, but one is faithful, and the other is unfaithful. We're going to really see how we need Jesus to stand. Peter wasn't trusting in him. He fell hard. He denied him. We need Jesus to stand firm. He stood for us on trial so that we can stand in the day of trial. That's what we're going to see in this passage this morning. How great our Redeemer is. And we're going to see, first of all, Jesus' faithful witness. Jesus was betrayed, arrested. And then the scripture says he was led away to the palace of the high priest. Who was the high priest at the time? John 18 tells us who this high priest was. It was Caiaphas. Caiaphas. And he's the one who presided over the Sanhedrin. As you may recall, the Sanhedrin was really the ruling body of the Jews. It was a political, religious body. Ruling council, you could say. And it consisted of 71 members. And it consisted of chief priests, scribes, and the elders. And that's who you see mentioned here. They're all part of that. Ruling counsel over Israel. And you'll notice here in this text, and this is why we bring these verses together, this trial of Jesus, his trial, is sandwiched between another trial that's going on. You notice how it begins with Peter, and then it ends with Peter. So there's Peter's trial. Jesus' trial is in the between, and then it says more about Peter's trial. And this is why we have it as all one text this morning. For Peter, it's not looking good. You'll notice how he has distanced himself from Jesus. He's following Jesus, but now at a distance. This is to say he's distancing himself from the Lord Jesus. He's scared, he's afraid. He's in the courtyard of the high priest and he's looking at Jesus, he's observing Jesus from a distance. He's remembering his, the words of Jesus that there's no way, Peter, you can stand in your own strength. And he's going to see that in a real hard way. But he's playing safe. He's playing it safe. It's late into the cool night. And we know it's a cool night because he's there by a warm fire, feeling cozy. Sitting by a cozy, warm fire while his master is being severely beaten and tortured for him. He mingles in with the rest of the crowd. Who's he sitting with? He's sitting with servants. You read that in the first part. And who are those servants? Those are the same servants who are called officers in verse 66 or 65. The same servants, the officers of the Sanhedrin who arrested Jesus and who will strike Jesus with the palms of their hands that same word that is there at the beginning is also found in verse 65 the same officers peter is mingling among them meanwhile jesus is on trial not for himself but for us a trial as we know always involves witnesses right two witnesses at least at least two corroborating witnesses who need to agree in order to establish a matter that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 19. And here the chief priests and the council, they are looking for witnesses. They're busily engaged in trying to find witnesses against Jesus in order to do what? To put him to death. Now, this is not a fair trial because long ago, they already determined they're going to put him to death. You go back to Mark three, verse six, already then, they were determined to put him to death. But now they found their opportunity. And now they're seeking. Those here, it says they're seeking. They're looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Did they find any evidence? Testimony? No. None. That's very, very clear. They, they found none. No testimony. What does this tell you? This trial is trumped up with lies and deceit, and that they gather here and there, trying to gather their witnesses against Jesus, but they're just making it up. It's like a, a mock trial. They're fabricating lies. There's no justice. There's no love there. There's hatred, and it spews forth in really gathering false witnesses. And you think about that. It's nothing new today. Nothing new today. You look around our world today. All the attempts to discredit believers. It's not, first of all, about believers. It's, first of all, about discrediting Christ. Just as Christ said, followers of Christ will be put on trial by the world. Even today, we see it happening. But then some of the witnesses come forward and they say, yeah, we do have one thing against Jesus. And and they bring out this one incident earlier on in his ministry. Remember when Jesus cleansed the temple in John chapter 2? So that's early on. And they said, we heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with hands and within three days I will build another temple made without hands. But even then, they're not agreeing because they're misunderstanding what Jesus actually said. They twist the meaning. They twist the word of God. And they're all saying different things about what Jesus said there. Really, what Jesus was saying was he's referring to himself. He says, when I'm resurrected from the dead, I will raise the church. That will be the body that replaces the temple. The temple will be destroyed the physical temple, and in his place, Jesus will raise a body, the body of believers. But they were not agreeing. The point is, not even then did their testimony agree. Verse 59. Finally, the high priest stands up in their midst. He's getting worried. He's wondering, where is this going to go? Are we not going to find any grounds? And finally, he stands up himself. He's the one who presides over the the Sanhedrin, think about the intimidation going on. 71 members and Jesus alone on trial. He now questions Jesus personally. Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? And what does Jesus say? It just says he kept quiet. He kept silent. He answers nothing. Why? Why? Why does he stay silent? First of all, there's nothing to answer. It's all false anyway. There's no need to defend himself because it's all false anyway. It's trumped up charges. But there's more here. I think the bigger point is his silence represents his innocence. He's not guilty. And what Jesus, by keeping silent, he's fulfilling what Isaiah said 700 years before. In chapter 53, those words there, he was oppressed, referring to Jesus, and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus is before them, the Lord of glory, as a lamb, silent, silent. Fulfilling scripture, where are they going to find the grounds that they're looking for? You know what? Who provides those grounds? Jesus does. (laughs) Jesus provides those grounds. Look at 61, 62. Jesus provides the testimony that they're looking for in order to put him to death. I mean, you think of the love of the Savior. He's thinking about you and me. He's thinking about us. He's thinking about his disciples. He's thinking about Peter, who's presently denying him. Thank God that his love is so much greater. We're 61, 62. Hear his testimony that he gives, that they're looking for. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And now Jesus speaks. He openly affirms it. I am those words. I am think of Genesis three, when God revealed himself to Moses, I am who I am. He's making himself equal to God. And he even affirms it by quoting their scripture from Daniel seven, verse 13. And if you look there, those words are very, very similar to what Jesus says here. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus saying to them, all 71 of them, you will see, you will see him. How? Not presently as before you, suffering in chains, but risen, exalted with a crown of glory. Yes, Jesus stands on trial before the Sanhedrin now, but the Sanhedrin, will stand on trial before the Son of Man and he will judge them when he returns in glory. You will see it. Wow, what a warning to our world, isn't it? The world that wants to put the church on trial and yet there is no hope for the world if they do not repent and believe And bow down before the king who bore the crown of thorns. You think about it, right? Christ's risen body, that's the embassy of the world. That's the kingdom in focus. The power and the glory of Christ manifests itself in the the church. Yes, if only they would believe. Jesus affirms before the entire council that he is the divine son of God. He bears witness to himself. (laughs) There's no other witnesses. He provides the witness for them that they're looking for in order to put him to death. He bears witness to the truth. He's standing up for you, brothers and sisters. He stood up for you without fail. This is the greatest news that we could ever hear because we would be found guilty. Guilty and never saved without him taking our place. Yes. How does the high priest respond? The high priest tore his robes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? We have heard, or you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. What do they convict Jesus of? Blasphemy. Why blasphemy? Because they heard him saying that he's equal to God. And he is. You notice that all religions today deny that. That's ongoing denial. But this is who Christ is in his person, in his essence. Who is with the father from all eternity. Who became man. Who came to man to stand trial in your place for your salvation. And according to Jewish law, according to Sanhedrin, blasphemy was punishable by death. But, you know, in condemning Jesus, what do they do? They condemn themselves. They condemn themselves. And you see, they lose all restraint in verse 65. Some begin to spit on it. Think of the humiliation. Think about how offended if someone spits on us. But Jesus, the son of God, the innocent one who had no sin, standing trial in your place. Some began to spit on him. Spit balls, right? They just hurled it at him. They blindfolded him, mocking him. They beat him. And they say to him, prophesy. They're not looking for prophecy. They're just making fun of him. And you know what? Jesus did prophesy. He just did. Verse 6061. But did he not also say to the disciples a little early in Mark 10? He said to them a week before, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, to the scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will mock him, scourge him, spit on him, and kill him. The prophet was before them the priest, the king. Jesus fulfilling prophecy before their eyes, but they're not getting it. They're blind. This is not what is happening. Why did Jesus provide them with the testimony that they were looking for to put them to death? Why? By doing so, God was accomplishing salvation for his people. That's what he was doing in his love. It's because of his love for you and me. God hates sin. He hates your sin. He hates my sin. He hates it so much that Christ was punished, condemned, suffered hell, for your sin and my sin, so that you could be spared in the day of trial, he stood trial in your place so that you could stand trust in him because he's the one who took the condemnation in the place of all who trust on him. He was declared guilty. The innocent one declared guilty in our place, condemned so that we might be justified, guilty so that we might be declared innocent. Wow, what a savior who humbled himself for this. And as he's doing this, you see Peter. What a contrast. It really goes to show Peter needs a savior. He needs someone to save him. He needs grace. He needs someone to help him stand. And that brings us to verses 66 to 72. While Jesus is going through his trial, a trial of a different sort is taking place below. Peter's before the servant girl of the high priest on trial by her. And now, as Peter, we read, verse 66, was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. So imagine the courtyard. It's an open area, open to the sky, fire. and around you have the rooms, and there's a second level in the high priest's palace, and that's where Jesus is. And so Peter's looking up, he can see everything that's happening to Jesus. And he's down below at a distance from Jesus. And the servant girl sees Jesus or sees Peter warming himself by the fire. She looks at him, recognizes that he's, he's a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I know. I've seen him in this situation, that situation. I mean, hopefully people see that in our jobs, in the places where we work, that people say, that's a Christian. That's a follower of Jesus. But she notices that. You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. That's kind of a disparaging statement. Jesus of Nazareth, like you're one of those, one of those that belong to Jesus, that place, Nazareth. Peter had the prime opportunity to bear witness to his Savior, to open his mouth and to declare Jesus' love for sinners and to say, look at his love for you. Look, look at him. Does Peter confess Jesus? No. He denies him. He says, I don't know him. I neither know or understand what you're talking about. How many of us see ourselves in Peter here? I think all of us, right? That's us. All of us. All of us. Anyone who says that they're not, they're lying. (laughs) Right? That's just, that's all of us, isn't it? I mean, when we are tested in this way, What often happens, we become quickly anxious for our own safety. We don't want to cause trouble, especially for ourselves. And the second thing is we want others to approve of us. Okay, Jesus didn't have either. And notice what Peter does. He distances himself even further from Jesus. He's where he was. But he now backs up even further, and he backs up into the porch. It's it's spatial, but it's also psychological. eh? He's he's moving himself away from Jesus, even as we read what's going on here. Hardly a picture of boldness. Hardly a picture of courage here, is it? A rooster crows. A rooster crows once. This does not relieve Peter from further attacks, though. The servant girl sees him again. And now what she does is she involves others, others who are standing nearby. She says to them, this is one of them. This is one of them. He denies again his association with Jesus. Certainly they sense Jesus—sorry, dis- Peter's discomfort, and they keep on bugging him. They keep on attacking him. And now they're all hearing it. Those officers that are ready to strike Jesus with a palm on the face, now they're all hearing it. Surely you're one of them. And you know what gives it away? His accent. The Galileans had a, 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 a distinct accent that was different from the rest of Israel. They're saying, "Yeah, we, you're from Galilee and we saw you with him and your accent gives you away, Peter. Peter is scared. Scared. Oh, that's so much a picture of us, right? That, that's us all the way. Scared. And Peter becomes adamant, bold, not in his confession of Jesus, but in his denial of Jesus. He becomes very bold. He swears, he curses up and down. I don't know this man you, of whom you speak. Notice here, he doesn't even mention the name Jesus. That's how ashamed he is. I don't even know this man. It's deliberate. Peter's, own, Jesus' own disciple, Peter, is ashamed of Jesus and exposes Jesus to scorn himself. Is it not true that Peter, the disciples, believers, also nailed Jesus to the cross, him to scorn, The rooster crows a second time. And then Peter remembers exactly what Jesus said to him. Verse 72, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And different from Judas, Peter breaks down and cries and cries and cries. Just weeps how he hurt his Lord how he hurt his master. He thinks about it. This man needs grace. This man needs Jesus. This man needs forgiveness. He needs to come to Christ. Is there hope for him? Is there grace for him? Is there forgiveness for him? Is there forgiveness for you and me? when we deny him in the workplace, when we're afraid to stand up for him. Jesus is condemned to death. Why, for what purpose? So that Peter may be saved and live. You notice that Jesus does forgive Peter. He restores Peter because if you look in Mark chapter 16, remember the angel who saw the empty tomb? And the angel said to the women, right, the the, the angel said to the women, you go tell the disciples and Peter, especially singles out Peter, right, Peter, and tell them that the Lord is before you. The risen Lord is before you. You can meet him in Galilee. Peter is mentioned specifically because of what happened here. And yes, because Christ stood for him on trial, Because Christ did this for him. Peter too will stand before councils and kings. Mark 13 verse 8. And you read that in the book of Acts. And he's the one who will stand up and say, we must obey God rather than men. Where does he get that strength from? This is Peter the failure. The denier. To the Peter who stands firm. It's all by God's grace. It's because Christ is standing for him and giving him the strength to stand firm. And really, it's a call to trust, isn't it? By God's grace, he will bear witness to Christ, the Savior and Lord, even under persecution, ridicule, unfair treatment. Just some concluding thoughts. You know, at the time when Mark wrote this gospel, the faith of believers was being severely tried. Their love for Jesus was being tested by Rome itself and by the Roman civil authorities. Rome had adopted measures. They adopted measures to stamp out the church, to get rid of the church, to remove the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now they receive this epistle or sorry, this this gospel and they're reading this. How are they going to stand How are they going to stand firm in Jesus? Yes, Peter's denial was a reminder to the persecuted congregation and to us that not even the best Christian, like Peter here, is immune to denying Jesus. Anyone, it can happen to anyone. But also it shows that there's no one beyond the reach of God's grace. There is no other place where we can be honest about even this kind of sin than in the church because Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the savior of the church. This is the place of God's grace. This is the place where we can confess and acknowledge and plead forgiveness from the one who stood for us in the hour of trial. There's that song, right? In the hour of trial, Jesus plead for me, lest by base denial I depart from thee. It's really, you know, we we come before Christ in weakness, knowing that in ourselves we can't. But he's the one who gives us the grace to stand. Bearing witness under persecution means what? It means standing up for Jesus, for his word. The word of God. This is the truth. The word of God is the truth. There is no other. But the word of God. Yes. You know. Daily the world. Puts you on trial. But as, you, as the world does that. Just Remember. Jesus went on trial for you, and that's why you can stand. And also remember, this is why we celebrate the means of grace, the Lord's Supper. Because as we eat and drink, the Lord nourishes us and strengthens us so that we can continue to be strong in our faith. We need that. Really, coming to the table is a humble confession. It's a humble submission to Christ. I need you, Jesus, in the hour of trial. We should expect the world to revile and to persecute and say all kinds of evil against Jesus' disciples, Matthew 5.13. We should expect it, Matthew 5.11. We should also not be surprised when the world observes our honorable conduct and good works, and yet still speaks of us as evildoers, 1 Peter two verse twelve. And indeed, we are not fulfilling our role as witnesses if we're more concerned about what the world thinks of us than showing forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does it mean to be witnesses? Witnesses doesn't mean to go with the world and they see no differences. Witnesses means let the world get angry at you for standing up for Christ. That's being a true witness. I'm reminded of what a woman of the faith said recently during this health crisis. So few, or sorry, not so few, but there are some who don't want to risk their life by coming together in case they lose their life. They can't do it with this. How can they ever do it in a day when there's real severe persecution? That's a real test. Is the Lord preparing us? Will we stand? Your badge, your baptism is a badge of honor. To be known as one of them. That's what Peter was called, as one of them. As being one with Jesus. As one being with Jesus. That's how they knew Peter. And when you stand on trial before the world, remember that Jesus stood on trial for you and was condemned in your place. Trust him. He's the one who gives the courage by his Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives the strength to stand. Yes. You know, when the world condemns you for your faith in Jesus, remember, first of all, you stand justified in Christ. And second of all, Remember, when Christ returns, all believers in Jesus will be publicly vindicated and all others eternally condemned. That's just the truth of the matter. And that's why we need to bear witness because we don't want them to perish, even if they get angry, even if they revile us, because we're concerned for their souls for the sake of Christ. Let's not trade our life in Christ for death. Let's not trade Christ for Satan. Let's not trade heaven for hell. Being a faithful witness to Jesus, however, begins in our everyday lives, doesn't it? In the small things of life, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. Doesn't mean we always have to be talking, but they should know you as one of them as one being with Jesus, they should know that. And being faithful, witnesses of Jesus, begins with very simple, ordinary actions and words, the way we act, the way we speak, living by the truth of God's word, bearing witness to the truth of God's word, living out our faith by living the life of Jesus in us. Remember those words of John 6, 13, 16, verse 33. Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation. And then he says, but be of good cheer. Don't let it get you down. You stand. Be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. Jesus, indeed, has overcome the world by rising from the dead. And so, in Christ, we even defy death itself because of what he has done for us. Praise be to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, that's a nice little song. But maybe we can sing another one after that one. Okay.